Okay, we're in lesson 15 today, and it's Obadiah, okay, Obadiah. Now, normally when we've gone through a book of one of the prophets, we usually have one lesson of introductory material, and then we start into the text. Uh, Obadiah is going to be a little bit different. We're going to talk about the introductory material at first, and then get into this little book. So I just want to make reference to a couple of things here. First of all, some general observations, okay, about Obadiah. First of all, how many of you, uh, I'm sure somebody has read Obadiah, but like what stands out to you about Obadiah? Anybody got anything that stands out to them about Obadiah? Okay, good. I didn't expect that. So everybody's doing okay. I did not expect you to be really moved by Obadiah. In fact, once we go through the text, you're going to be like, wow. Okay, so it's uh, so let me give you some general options. It's the shortest Old Testament book with 21 verses. So first of all, it's the shortest Old Testament book. There's only 21 verses in Obadiah, okay? Uh, the book is little known and seen primarily as a message of doom and judgment. So this is not the book you go to when you're wanting encouragement. Okay, uh, so it's primarily a book of doom and judgment. Okay, it's little known. It is not quoted in the New Testament. When you read the New Testament writers, a lot of them will quote minor prophets. Obadiah is never mentioned, but that doesn't mean it's not part of the scripture. Okay, it just means that it wasn't quoted by any of the New Testament writers. Okay, so this is just some general observations. So let's talk about who Obadiah was, okay? The name Obadiah means worshiper of Yahweh, okay? It means worshiper of Yahweh. Now, aside from the prophet, there are 12 instances of an Obadiah in the Old Testament. But it's not any of these guys, okay? So we really don't know who he is. So there's no other information concerning Obadiah's identification and occupation. We have no clue who he is, okay? All we know is we have these 21 verses of prophecy, of judgment, okay? And uh, that's basically it. We don't know anything else about Obadiah. Uh, there's no information given in the opening verses to establish the of this prophecy. We're not even sure exactly what day this prophecy is from, okay? Now, we've seen that with, like, Joel, okay? We've seen that with Joel, where we didn't know exactly where, where Joel was written, but that doesn't take away from it being the scripture, okay? It's long been recognized throughout the centuries that this is the word of God, okay? So, those who hold to a pre-exilic date look to its position in the Hebrew Old Testament. So most scholars will look at this and say it's pre-exilic, meaning it's before the exile, simply because of the way that it was positioned in the Hebrew Old Testament, okay? Or what we call it the Old Testament, but the Jews would call it the Hebrew Bible, okay? Scholars propose various dates ranging from the 9th to 6th centuries B.C., so there's about there's three specific views. I didn't want to get really in depth about those, but it could range anywhere from 
the 9th century all the way to the 6th century, okay? So let's talk about the book now. So we're going to spend the rest of our time here. The interesting thing is, okay, remember, we're talking about uh, God's word to his people, to the nation Israel. We can't take it to mean to our nation, but we can take it to mean for God's people, okay? So we understand it with all the minor prophets, right? This book in particular is interesting because it is a prophecy against Edom, okay? It's a prophecy against Edom. Now, anybody know who Edom is? What nation is Edom? Oh, yeah, it's the descendants of Esau. This is, uh, this is you know, like Israel is the descendants of Jacob. These are the descendants of Esau, who was the brother of who? Of Jacob. So there's a, there's a connection there, okay? There's a connection. So, like, if you remember, when Israel came up, <clears throat> came up out of Egypt, and it was conquering land, it destroyed the Amorites, and so forth. But God told him not to go to war or do anything against who? Edom or Ammon or Moab. Why? Because they were close relatives, okay, of Israel. Edom was one of those nations that was told, leave Edom alone, okay? Now we're going to get to this prophecy, and it is a prophecy against Edom for some things that they have done. God is announcing judgment on them. Okay, so here's what we're going to do first, because there's only 21 verses. How about if I read it to you, and then we'll go through it, okay? The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, let us rise up against her for battle. Uh, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You will dwell in the clefts of the rocks whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, though you have set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you would will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If great gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out. How his hidden treasure shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and, and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty man, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. 
you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carry captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you as one of them, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother, in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in their day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the days of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up among them those who remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord upon all nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually, as they shall drink and swallow. And they shall be as, the, as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. And there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess his possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be a stubble. And they shall kindle them and devour them. No survivor shall remain on the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. The, the south shall possess the mountains of Esau. The lowlands shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim, the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captains of the hosts of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites. As far as Zarephath, captives of Jerusalem who are in Zarephath shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Okay, so let's try and figure out what's going here. So this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. We're basically going to take these these uh, 21 verses and we're going to divide it into um, two, two main sections. We're going to see the judgment on the judgment of Edom, and then we're going to see the blessings on Israel. Okay, so the first 16 verses deal with the judgment on Edom. So what do we see here? Well, the Lord is calling the nations to rise up in battle against Edom. So the very first thing he's doing is the Lord, through the prophet, is calling all the nations to rise up and uh, do battle against Edom. Okay? Do battle. The Lord will make Edom despised and small among the nations. So this is a tacky. First thing that's going to happen is, is that a nation usually prides itself. We understand that. Nations pride themselves in who they are. They see themselves as larger than life. Well, God says, I'm going to raise up all the other nations among you, and you're going to be small, and you're going to be despised. Okay? 
What do you mean despised? Okay, well, think about it. In the world today, there are nations that we look at and we say, well, you know, that's, that's a great, strong nation. But then there are nations that we kind of hold like we don't expect anything of them. Okay, so for instance, right now, Haiti is a nation like that, right? Always has been. Very poor, poverty-stricken nation. Right now, it's in the midst of chaos. You see it in the news. And, and it's not like something you expect much of, right? It's kind of small and despised. There are other nations like that around the world. He's saying Edom's going to be just like that. Okay? Once proud, proud warriors and whatever, they're going to be small and despised. While Edom is prideful and has a false sense of security, the Lord will bring them down. Now, part of their sense of security was is Edom was in a very rugged, mountainous area, okay? Don't, don't think the Rocky Mountains, okay? Kind of think like hills around here. They were in an area, and with that, when you're in a mountainous area, you can defend yourself really well. You know what I'm saying? You can defend yourself against any, any onslaught of anything coming. So Edom had a sense of pride and a sense of false security, that nobody's going to defeat them. And God says to them, I'll bring you down. You know, the Lord says, I will bring you down. Don't, don't sit there with this false sense of pride thinking nobody can take us out. I'll bring you down. Okay, I'll bring you down. So Edom's wealth, here's what's going to happen to them. Their wealth will be plundered and her allies will become her enemies. So she was prideful about all the stuff that she had. But God says, that's all going to be taken away from you. She was also prideful because they had, they were pretty much, you know, the confederacy. It mentions a confederacy. That was a confederacy of nations where they kind of had treaties with other peoples and groups to enhance their security and to do well against any possible invaders and what happens is, is God says, your friends are going to turn on you. The people that you are relying on, they're the ones who are going to be coming after you. Okay? So here's what he says. Edom's wise men, their mighty men, and their people will be slaughtered. So he spends a few verses here talking about the wise men and removing all understanding from Edom. He talks about the mighty men, basically removing them. And then basically everybody is going to be slaughtered. Everybody's going to be killed in Edom, is what he says. So Edom will be judged for its violence against Israel. So now the prophet's going to explain why. Because up to this point, you're like, man, what did they do? What did they do to deserve this, right? I mean, yeah, Edom, I understand they were kind of an enemy of Israel, but man, what did they do? Why is God wanting to pour out his vengeance on them? Well, he's going to give us an explanation. One first thing is, is they propagated violence against Israel. Okay? They propagated violence against Israel. Here, they stood by and allowed others to plunder Israel and joined in. Rather than coming to Israel's defense, so when, when either the Assyrians came, or this is probably right before the Babylonian, when the Babylonians would come, they 
didn't do anything to stop. They didn't even want to help. They actually stood by and let them, you know, hey, you need water? We'll help you. Troops have water, you know what I'm saying? And they let the troops go by and do what they needed to do. And they even joined in. You know what I'm saying? They even joined in the defeat of Israel. They went beyond being a spectator of Israel's destruction and rejoiced in it. Now, do you understand that concept of going beyond just simply being a spectator? Okay? Because here, here's the thing. As you go throughout life, you sometimes will witness things that are horrific, that are happening to other people. And the typical response is, is you just kind of stand by and you look. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that's happening to them, right? It goes another step beyond that where you're not just being a spectator, but now you're rejoicing what's what's happening. Oh, he deserved it. You know what I'm saying? He deserved it. <laughs> How big are you now, Israel? You know what I'm saying? So it, it the problem is, is they weren't just spectators. That would be one thing, but they rejoiced in what happened to Israel, okay? They found pleasure. So Edom joined in the looting, in looting Jerusalem, killing its people and handing others over to exile. So God specific, is specific here. Edom joined in the looting. So they sent troops to be there when, when, and, and they joined in and got their share. Here's the other thing. They didn't just do that. The people who were trying to escape the city, they were killing them as they were trying to escape the city. They were killing the, the Israelis as they were trying to escape the city. Not only that, then they captured some of the others and handed them over to the Babylonians. That's pretty bad, isn't it? You know, they've gone from being just spectators and rejoicing to now they're joining in in the looting. They're killing people who are trying to escape, the prophet says and they're taking others and turning them over to the invaders. So the day of the Lord for all the nations is coming, and they will experience what they did to Israel. So he's basically saying, hey, the day of the Lord for all the nations. That's the only place that I've seen that phrase in the Old Testament so far, is the day of the Lord. So anybody, what's the day of the Lord typically in the Old Testament? Okay, judgment, tribulation, okay. Uh, we often equate it with the ultimate day of the Lord, which is what? The second coming, right? When God brings his judgment. And usually up to this point, it has been the day of the Lord with reference to what's going to happen to Israel, okay? With this prophet, though, he is making a point here to say there's a day of the Lord for what? All the nations, okay? Meaning all nations are going to be what? Judged. Okay, so do you understand that? All nations are going to be judged. No nation is exempt. And so specifically here now, he's talking about Edom. He's saying that the day of the Lord for all the nations is coming. And he says they will experience what they did to Israel. Look with me at Verse 15, for the day of the Lord is upon all the nations is near. 
As you have done, it shall be done to you. So all those things that he described there beforehand about what they did, you know, laughing, you know, not just being a spectator, but rejoicing, looting, killing people, sending others over to be captives to go away in exile. All those things that they did, God is saying in the day of judgment that's coming for Edom, the very things that you did to Israel is going to happen to you. Okay? It's going to happen to you. Now, what are, what are your thoughts about that? I see some perplexed looks, grimaces. What are you thinking? Uh, not at this point, uh, Danny. I wouldn't say Muslims, okay? I would say, if you're going to talk about a nation today, Edom is in the area known as Jordan today, okay? Jordan. So these are historic enemies. It doesn't have anything to do with their religion. It has to do with who the people are. Do you understand? So anybody else with a thought? Well, though no, that's in the peninsula there. There's a different group of people there. They are judged by other prophets. Okay? All right? Anybody else? Yeah, he loves Israel, even though he's upset. Now, who's the one punishing Israel? The Lord is punishing Israel. But he, does, he doesn't want anybody else abusing that punishment for their good, thinking they're getting away with something. Do you understand? So he's dealing with, with Esau for, and, and, and in fact, we see that with some of the other prophets. He'll, you know, he, he, uses, he uses the Assyrians as a tool to punish the northern kingdom, but then he judges the Assyrians because they went way beyond what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to punish, but they were even more brutal than what, and so God says, I'm judging you. Same thing with the Babylonians, okay? So he judges them for going beyond what he is expecting. So they'll experience what they did to Israel. So Edom and the nations had celebrated Israel's destruction but they will cease to exist. This is the ultimate statement here. Okay, that would be Jordan, the country of Jordan. Do you know where that is? So if you have Israel, right here is Jordan, okay? That is in the historic areas of Edom, Moab, and Ammon is where Jordan is at. Yes, Jordan is a country. It's an ally of the United States. Okay? So, yes, but th that would be uh, that would be who the Jordanians would be, is there in the area that was once the homeland of Edom, as well as Ammon and Moab, all relatives to Israel. Okay? So what's your question, Danny? Uh, today it's mostly Muslim, yes. Yeah. But God doesn't see it in terms of what their religion is, and I'll explain why. The gods of Edom were different than the gods of Moab and the gods of Ammon. They all had their own gods. It is the people that God is upset with. Okay? 
So I wouldn't make it an issue of his judging a religion. Okay, because they're all not God. They're not following the true God. Do you understand? The point is, is their relationship and their animosity towards who? His people. Do you understand? Towards Jacob, who they are related to historically. Okay? Who they are related to historically. And, and in this time, which would be, I'm assuming this is the time right before the Babylonian Empire. This is probably suggesting the when the Babylonians defeated uh defeated Israel and took them away captive for 70 years. This is the time when Edom was an ally to the Babylonians and and used it as an opportunity to afflict damage on Israel and and God is prophesying, okay, you're going to you're going to pay for that. Okay? You're going to pay for that. No, they have been completely wiped out. No. No. But they will be. Yes, which is what it's saying there. They'll cease to exist. When will that take place? All these things are prophecy about what will take place in the future. That'll take place when, folks? When did the nation cease to exist? Yeah. Yeah, there, there aren't going to be any more nations. Oh, I think it's historic. I think we know that, right? I mean, we have families that, you know, your granddaddy did that to my granddaddy and we're still holding on to that grudge from 50, 60 years ago and we don't even know exactly what that, we've embellished it, but we're still holding on a grudge. Do you know what I'm saying? That's where our country is at. That's where our world is at. People hold animosity feelings among people groups and... They don't never deal with him. So, like we look at, in, like right now in Armenia, we'll look at, uh, we'll look at the war that's popping up, and it's between two different people groups that go back centuries. Do you know what I'm saying? And and they never deal with the issue. It goes back centuries. Th this is the problem our world is in. Our problem is in, we don't ever really settle any issues. Did you know? Do you know what I'm saying? We don't ever really settle things and so there's animosity usually lying right beneath the surface that just pops up okay that pops up you seem perplexed there gene uh well in a world without god there really isn't any forgiveness now they they would say there's forgiveness but really there, there is no sense of forgiveness. Well, let's be honest. It's not just there's no forgiveness. There's no repentance either. Uh, I think there are instances of asking God for forgiveness, but it's more than just the issue of forgiveness, Danny. Forgiveness is extended when there's repentance. I don't think we know of anybody who's willing, any nation that's really, really willing to acknowledge a past wrong. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because we don't want to go there. Okay? Yes. 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 
Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, but but here's the thing. Look at if you if if you have a biblical understanding, you can look at what's going on around us. And you can recognize that we never really acknowledge anything. We just go on like it's never happened. So then you remove it by three or four or five, six generations. Yeah, but I'm not just talking, I'm just talking about a general human being. So let's not talk just about Israel. So we can look, okay, right now the big issue is the whole slavery issue and all of that. We can look at it and say, man, that's been five generations. I wasn't even there. Okay? Yeah, but to those people, it's a big issue to them. Because nobody has ever said we're sorry. Nobody has ever said anything to make to any kind of repentance about it. It doesn't have to be the black people. It can be American Indians. It can be the Chinese when they came over to to uh, to uh, to California. You know what I'm saying, and how they were treated. It can be the Japanese. It can be Italians or the Irish or the Catholic. Remember when they came to Pennsylvania and so forth. The animosities between different groups and so forth. Nobody's ever said, "Hey, we're wrong in the way this happened." We don't do that because that's not the mindset of our culture. First of all, it's not the mindset of any people group in the world for centuries. So there is, it's not just an issue of forgiveness, it's an issue of repentance as well. And nobody's willing to acknowledge anything. Do you understand? And so later, what ends up happening is, they hold on to these animosities. So Esau, the biggest complaint with Esau, Jacob stole my birthright. You know what I'm saying? And that would be an offense that they would carry for centuries. Yeah, but it could be twisted. You know what I'm saying? It could be twisted. Like, you know, rather than helping me out, he tricked me. You know what I'm saying? You know, so th the point is, what I want you to see is, what we see here, we can see in humanity. Their struggles, we see that all around us. And when you look at things from a biblical standpoint, you look at it and you say, okay, I understand why, the, why we're having these problems. But then I understand what the solution is. What's the solution? Jesus Christ, who gives me a proper perspective of repentance and forgiveness. But the problem is, will the world ever come to Jesus Christ? So will they ever get it under control? No. No, not at all. And so the centuries of animosity just continue on and we just keep creating different groups that get upset with each other. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So here he's saying, okay, Edom and the nations, they celebrated Israel's destruction, but one day they're going to cease to exist. Meaning what? God's going to be the one who's going to come and deal with them. But that hasn't happened yet. Okay? That hasn't happened yet. All right, what were you going to say, John? You okay. I, I, I don't know if I would say, I would say there's elements here that reflect what's going to happen in the second coming. And that is, godless nations will answer. Do you understand? Everybody's going to be held to an account. There is a day of the Lord for every nation. 
Here, this prophet specifically is saying why Edom is going to be held to account. Okay? And he's basically saying, in your pride, I'm going to strip your pride away. You're going to be plundered. Everybody's going to be slaughtered. And then he says, you laughed at Israel, but you're going to cease to exist. You know what I'm saying? You're going to cease to exist. And so, so what's the parallel for you and I? God is the one who brings everybody into account. It is the only way, Danny. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It is the only way that animosity in our world is going to end. It is, he is the only one that's going to bring an end to any kind of, okay, so you're from the tribe of Danny, I'm from the tribe of George, I tick you off, and so years later our descendants are still fighting over something that I ticked you off about, and who's going to bring an end to that? Yeah, because there's no way for us to do it. Because think about it, time goes on, what happens? You embellish it, you, you add to it other offenses and so forth. Hey, your grandson cut me off in traffic. You know what I'm saying? He did that on purpose. Yes, through Jesus, there is no wall of separation. Okay? There is no wall of separation. All right? Yes, that's true. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. So then I think what we're going to do here is we're going to get in that last section, which is verses 17 through 21. He's going to talk about the blessings on Israel. So while Israel will be destroyed, excuse me, Edom will be destroyed. Israel will experience deliverance because the Lord has spoken. So Edom's going to be destroyed, and, and with that, the other nations are going to be destroyed, but what? Israel will be restored. Why? Because the Lord has spoken. There is only one nation that God is saying is going to make it in the end. Who's that, folks? Israel. Now, where, does that, where do we fit in there? We're the wild olive branches that are grafted in. Do you understand what I'm saying? We join in the promises of Israel. But our nations, they're going to cease. They're going to cease. I know that's hard for us to hear because we love our nations, you know what I'm saying? And, but that's just reality. In the end, it really isn't going to matter. What do you mean it isn't going to matter? Well, go to Revelation chapter 21. I looked and behold a new Jerusalem, and there was a new heaven and a new what? earth for the old has passed away it's going to be new anyhow there'll be no more sea one people yeah because everybody else is in the lake of fire okay and there'll be no more sea so you guys enjoyed your first day of trout yesterday that won't happen in the new kingdom it does say that, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know that it says anything about eating fish. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, what's that? Yeah, but it's a crystal sea, okay? So, okay, so 
Israel shall possess the land of her enemies. All right, now this is an interesting prophecy here. Why? Because when Abraham was given the promise of the land, he was told to look to the north, look to the south, look to the east and west. Everything you see will be yours. From the great river Nile to the Euphrates. Now, ever since the time of that prophecy in the Old Testament, Israel has never had that. They've had parts of it. But they've never had that. Why? Because some of these nations are there. Philistia, the Philistines. Okay? Gaza is, okay, you want to know Gaza? We know about Gaza all the way in the Old Testament. We know about Gaza to this day. Do you understand? Gaza is the ancient people of the Philistines. Do you, do you understand? So all of these things are going to be given over to who? Israel in the end. They're going to receive the land. This is a prophecy about the future. This prophecy hasn't been fulfilled yet, has it? No, it hasn't. Even under David and Solomon, when they were at their greatest extent of what their kingdom was, it didn't even go this far. Didn't even go this far, okay? Deliverers shall come to Jerusalem, and the kingdom of Israel shall be the Lord's. Deliverers. What do you mean deliverers? I thought there's one deliverer. Yeah, there's one deliverer, but who does he come with? No, it's not his angels. Saints. Now who goes with him? You and I. This is a prophecy about Jerusalem being set free by a deliverer and the deliverers with him. That's the saints. That's in Revelation chapter 19, the end of 19. And they'll be on their horses dressed in white with gold crowns. That's yes. We'll be riding with King Jesus. You mean I got to fight? No, you don't need to fight. It's not even going to be a war. He's just going to what? The sword coming out of his eye. He's just going to speak the word and that's it. But we will what? Come and the kingdom of Israel will be the Lord's. Do you understand what I'm saying? He will establish his kingdom. And you're going to be a part of that. Do you understand? I don't know how to ride a horse. You'll, it, you'll figure it out. Okay? All right? You'll figure it out. 